Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. That was a beautiful song. We shouldn't wait another three years to sing that again. Uh, I am so just overjoyed in the Lord for this Sunday to have our brother with us. I won't mention his name since we're back on the live stream, but uh, we're just so thankful for his ministry and his partnership. And in God's kind providence, we have another dear friend of Crosspoint with us this morning to minister the word that is no stranger to us. Gareth Franks has been with us on several occasions, and he, along with his wife Carrie and three beautiful children, are originally from South Africa, from Brackenhurst Baptist Church, which I had the privilege to visit just this past March. And some 20 years ago, Gareth and Carrie, before children, uh, were then sent out as missionary church planters in India. And they planted several churches over the course of about 16 or 17 years of ministry in India, and then transitioned from India to Abu Dhabi to New Life Church a Christian church there in, in the middle of the Middle East where Gareth has been pastoring for the past several years, and he has been with us on several occasions. He's going to preach to us this morning. He, over the years, now if you remember, we sent Logan Copley about seven or eight years ago to go be an interim pastor for one of the churches that Gareth planted in India, and we met through a mutual connection and we were going to send Logan, and, and we weren't sure about this guy, Gareth, on the other side of the world that we didn't know. And so Gareth and I did a Zoom call about eight years ago and met each other and kind of felt each other out. And we're kind of secretly giving each other code words to know where we stood theologically. And it seemed like a great fit. And, and since that time, the Lord has just knit our hearts together. And he has become one of our dear friends and ministry partners. And I'm just overjoyed to have our dear brother preach the word. Now he's going to preach. This morning and then this evening in our evening service at 5 o'clock, I want you to come back because he's going to speak more specifically and answer questions about ministry in the Middle East context right in the heart of the Muslim world. But join me now in giving a warm welcome to our dear brother and friend, Gareth Franks. Well, good morning, Crosspoint. Um, real blessing to be with you all this morning. And I bring you greetings from New Life Church in Abu Dhabi, and greetings from my family, and thank you to the elders, thank you to you for uh, sponsoring my ticket to come to uh, be with um, the T4G conference, first time I've ever attended, and the last time, but it really was a, a blessing to be there, and just to enjoy the, the fellowship. I think the singing this morning was just as good as the, the T4G, can I just say that I've been really blessed to fellowship with you all this morning. I remember that um, phone call, Brad, that we had over Zoom. It was probably the most awkward <laughs> phone call that, that I've ever been on over Zoom, trying to figure out who Brad Evangelista was and who this Logan Copley was. Um, but we're so grateful for your partnership in the gospel and just what an encouragement Brad has been to me personally and to my family and, of course, to our ministry in India as well as the UAE. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 19. And the title of my message is, It is Finished. I will be preaching on the sixth saying of Jesus on the cross. I, 
I'm aware that Easter was last week, and I thought it would be appropriate for me to speak again from this passage. Um, you know, while in India, when I ministered there, uh, Good Friday, they would often call preachers to preach on all seven of these last sayings of Jesus on the cross. Sometimes the, the services would go up to four to, to five hours, and sometimes they would share the, um, the, the sayings. And a few times they asked me to preach on all four sayings. So there's been times where I've preached for four hours, but don't worry, I won't do that to you this morning. I won't do that to you this, this morning. Um, these, these words are, are really so precious to me. And today we are going to look at the sixth last saying when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And I'm going to try and show you that these words in John chapter 19, verse 30, are not just redemptive in its accomplishment, but also missional in its application. So if you would turn with me, John chapter 19, I'm going to read just three verses this morning from verse 28 to verse 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that we can worship you together this morning, all those who have been redeemed by your sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that you would help me this morning to communicate Jesus, that you would help us to understand the implications of this redemptive accomplishment that you have paid for us. Help us to apply this into our lives and Lord, I ask that your Spirit would teach us how we can love you more and how we can appreciate what you have done for us more. Lord, we pray that we won't just go through the motions this morning, but that you would speak to us, that you would convict us, Lord, that you would comfort us, and that you would be glorified in our responses this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So on March the 4th in 1841, William Henry Harrison, the ninth president of the United States, delivered the longest inaugural speech on record. It contained over 9,000 words. Now, President Harrison must have been very impressed with his prepared comments that day because in spite of the fact that it was raining and it was unseasonably cold, he still refused to shorten his inaugural address. And he would not step down from the podium, and instead, he stood there for two solid hours delivering this, this lengthy speech. Well, because of his stubborn, long-windedness that bitterly cold day, President Harrison got pneumonia, and then he died a short month later on April the 4th in 1841. And you could accurately say that no president has ever said more and done less. Um, but now if we were to, to contrast what President Harrison said with what Jesus said on the cross and the words that he spoke there, those few but critically important words and phrases, 
I hope you would agree that this comparison would lead us to the opposite conclusion. In regards to Jesus, we could accurately say, no man has ever said less and done more. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 tells us that once Jesus had drunk the vinegar, he cleared his throat and spoke a sixth time and said, it is finished. And these three words in the English were only one word in the original Greek, and that word was tetaleste. And in that culture and in that setting, that word was a, it was a powerful phrase. It was a terminating phrase, a phrase that suggested that something was absolutely finished. And this word was used to communicate the fact that some great work was finally accomplished, finally finished. And that good Friday afternoon, Jesus, using this word to say that everything that was set out for him to do as the Messiah was finished, it was accomplished. This was not a cry as much as it was a pronouncement. This was not the wail of a, of a helpless martyr. It was not the gasp of a worn-out life. These were not words of defeat or of desperation. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm finished. Or he wasn't saying, oh my, oh my goodness, it's finally over. I failed. It was not even a word of relief. Jesus wasn't saying, oh, I'm glad it's, it's finished. Now, this is, a, this is a word of triumph. This is a word of triumph. These were words of a, of a conqueror claiming victory. And I think if Jesus' hands had not been nailed to that cross, Jesus would have said with his arms, punching upward into the darkness, it is finished. It is finished. And that one word that was uttered by Jesus was a powerful word. Well, what did that one word refer to? What was actually finished? What was Jesus meaning when he said that? What did this word tetaleste mean? My first point this morning, we see in verse 28 as well as verse 30, is that Jesus' earthly mission was finished. Jesus' earthly mission was finished. Verse 30 tells us, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus had set out all that God had given him to do. He had completed his life's work in those brief 33 years that he was given. And the word tetelestai is mentioned twice in those three verses. I hope you see there in verse 28 as well as verse 30. And the first occurrence of tetelestai is found in verse 28 where we read after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And I think this helps us to see the meaning of this sixth word as Jesus was hanging on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, the entire scripture from, from first to last in the law, in the writings and, and in the prophets was finished. It was finally accomplished. Let me add more context to make this a little more clear. In Luke chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus said, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. That word is tetaleste in the Greek. In Luke chapter 18, verse 31, he said to his disciples, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. That's the same word, 
tetelestai in the Greek. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, tetelestai. In John chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus said, I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, tetelestai, and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And then in John chapter 17, verse 4, in his prayer prior to his arrest in the garden, Jesus said, I have brought you glory on earth, Father, by finishing, tetelestai, the work that you have given me to do. And finally here in John chapter 19, verse 30, the scriptures tell us, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Jesus did not come to the earth with a random approach to life. He had a mission that he needed to accomplish. And he kept his eye on heaven. He kept his eye on the Father's will. And he accomplished everything that God set him out to do. And this leads to the second thing that was finished on the cross. But, sorry, before that, let me, let me just make some application. Even though the Lord has finished the mission that He has set out to do, I think the human aspect is still not finished. The mission that the Lord has given to us is still not finished. Christ's mission is finished, but the mission of the church is still ongoing. John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. The UAE is a unique place that the Lord is really using to advance the gospel in this Arab-speaking world and the whole of the, the Middle East and I think the reason so many doors are opening is because the Lord knows that there are people in this region who still need to worship Him. And in 2018, on the 22nd of September, the Abu Dhabi government granted 18 licenses to non-Muslim places of worship. So previously, non-Muslim places of worship were, were not officially recognized or even allowed legally by the, the government. And according to one news article, one official said that the aim of licensing the worship places is to provide an official unified channel within the government for religious bodies to go for special services and when they need advice or support. In other words, the government has provided legal ways and avenues for churches to exist and churches to preach the gospel in the Middle East. In the UAE, God is definitely doing something in this region, and He is He is using the UAE to fulfill His plan. You hear what I'm saying? God is using this Muslim nation in the heart of the the 1040 window as a hub to reach the Gulf nations as well as the surrounding Muslim nations in that region. And in our church, we have over. 20 nations represented on any given worship service. We used to worship on a Friday, 
but the weekends have changed recently, and now we worship on a Saturday. This is the first time I'm preaching on a Sunday in probably two years, Brad, <laughs> and I'm loving it. <laughs> but God is making ways to allow the, the churches in the, the UAE to reach some of the most unreached peoples on this earth. You know, we have expats in our church from, from Pakistan. We have expats from Bangladesh and, and Nepal and Malaysia and Afghanistan and Sri Lanka and Thailand and, and China and, and Russia and all over the world who come to find work in the, the UAE. And we hear testimony after testimony of how people who have moved to the UAE who are, who are able to hear the gospel for the first time. And they turn to faith in, in Christ. And what seems impossible with man is possible with God. And pray for all the evangelical churches in the UAE that we will be persistent and we will be intentional with the mission that the Lord has given us and that we will be fruitful in helping the nations worship Jesus. My second point we see, the work of redemption was finished. Tetelestai shows us that the work of redemption was finished. And the purpose of Jesus coming to earth in the first place was to atone for sins, for the sins of all mankind. He was, we know Jesus was born to die, and in so doing, the penalty of your sins and mine was paid. And Tetelestai, that was the word that Jesus used to communicate that. And the word Tetelestai was a it was a commercial use that was used in the culture of Jesus' day. And back then, if you bought something in which you had made a payment, maybe, maybe a house, for example, when you came to make the final payment, you would say, Tetaleste, it is finished, it is paid in full, the, the payment book is empty, the account is cleared. When Jesus used this last word on the cross, he was saying that a payment had been made, the final payment for our redemption for our redemption this is what he was referring to on the sermon on the mount when jesus said in matthew chapter 5 verse 17 he said i have not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it that is the word tetelestai again he came to fulfill it to pay the full requirement of the law and the lord the law said that where there was sin, there must be death. And this all began in the Garden of Eden when God told Adam and Eve not to disobey Him and not to eat from the forbidden tree because if they did, they would separate themselves from the, the intimate relationship which they enjoyed with God. They would be separated. And as a consequence, they would surely die. And we know that consequence has passed down to all of us. Adam and Eve did disobey God. And they passed down that consequence. They passed down even that, that sin nature to every single one of us. Romans 3 verse 23 and even Romans 6 23 say, All have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the, the glory of God. All of us have disobeyed God. And the wages of sin, the debt that sin incurs for us, is ultimately death. Is ultimately death. And this is why the Hebrew people of old sacrificed animals as a, a way of admitting their sin and atoning for it. In India, they, 
They still do today. They celebrate this festival called Bakri Id amongst the, the Muslim population where they take a goat and they, they publicly sacrifice this goat and you see this, this blood dripping on the floor into the roads. But it's a visible reminder of the sacrifice that they even believe they need to make for the wages of their sins. But we know Hebrews 9 verse 22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. And somehow even the, the Muslims understand that. But the problem was those animal sacrifices could, could never permanently remove sin. And the Old Testament priests were, were not allowed even to sit down when they were on duty as a, as a way to symbolize this fact that their work was not accomplished. Their work was not finished. And they continually made these sacrifices. And the people of the day who died in faith, they, they knew this and they believed that the last payment for their sins was still to come. The Messiah. And Jesus was that final, once and for all, sacrifice. His death on that cross was a, was a payment that covered all the iniquities of all mankind. And Jesus could die for us all. He could shed His blood and in so doing pay our entire sin debt because He Himself had never sinned. He was perfect in every way. Jesus owed no debt. Jesus was the one perfect, pure sin offering. He had no sin. Because of that, He was able to carry ours. The 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He who had no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And His sacrifice on that cross is a free gift received by faith and repentance. And thank God that Jesus' work of redemption is perfectly finished. Amen? Christ paid the, the ransom price and he redeemed us from our sins before God. And that is good news. Christ's death was in exchange for our lives. And we were slaves to our sin. We were condemned in our sin. But now we have been forgiven and reconciled to God. Adopted into His family. We share the privilege of being His children. But how do you... How do you respond to that truth this morning? I mean, does this move you this morning? Is this truth a, a treasure that you hold close to your heart? Are you being a, a faithful steward with this redeemed new life that you have in Christ? Are we being faithful stewards with this good news? Do our redeemed lives count? For God's glory. One lady in our church told us that when her husband suggested the possibility of being employed in the UAE, she was horrified by the prospect. And she went online and she, she tried to find reasons why this was a bad idea to convince her husband not to go. And she did a search in Google and she came across an, an article titled, Should You Live in Abu Dhabi? written by John Piper. 
It's a great article. Please go read it. But John Piper, after visiting and ministering in Abu Dhabi, he, he wrote this article in, in 2013. And here's some of what he says. He says, I've been told by more than one person here that they have spoken more about their Christian faith with interested Emiratis than they did for 20 years in the United States. And one reason is that unlike America, virtually everyone here is religious. It is natural to talk about religion, and those kinds of conversations are not regarded as awkward. And he concludes in this article by saying, The global significance of filling this Arab region with gospel-focused, God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated churches seems immeasurable. If you have five years of successful experience in your vocation and a passion to be part of spreading, a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ, consider sending your CV to a company in the UAE. Well, after trying to find reasons not to go to Abu Dhabi, this was all our friend needed to be convinced that her redeemed life could count for God's glory by working and ministering in the UAE. Heather and Hunter spent five years in the UAE with us. Hunter ministered with me as an elder, and um, Heather ministered in our communications team, um, working side by side with us joyfully. It was a it was a sad day when, when they left. But what am I saying? Am I saying that in order to be a faithful steward of the completed work of redemption, you have to move to Abu Dhabi? Am I saying that? No, I'm not saying that. John Piper is saying that. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. You can be a faithful steward of the gospel wherever the Lord chooses to use you. But we must be faithful and we must be intentional about sharing this, this good news with those around us who are lost in their sin and trapped in their darkness. Now pray for us. Pray for all the churches in the, the UAE that the Lord would help us to be intentional and the Lord would add intentional believers to our church who could help us and encourage us to fulfill the task of making disciples in this strategic part of this Arab region. My third point, the word tetelestai communicates to us that the power of death was finished. The power of death was finished. Romans 6 verse 4 and 5 tells us, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in death, like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. All human beings fear death. You know, death is the great unknown. And we, we don't want to face it. We don't want to stop living because life teaches us that death eventually comes to every man, every woman. You know, from the moment of conception, our own death is really inherently part of our physiology. Death is a fact. We are all born with an expiration date. A Christian pastor, Calvin Miller, pastor and author, he, 
he writes, death is a fact more unpleasant than life, but a fact that is just as certain as life. It becomes the grim reminder that we are not merely watching a clock, we are watching our passing. The good news of the gospel teaches us that on that resurrection Sunday, the power of death was finished too. And we know that day on the cross when Jesus died, he didn't just swoon, he didn't just faint, he really did die. A soldier stabbed the dead body of Christ with a, a spear to make sure that he was dead. And he was buried in a, a grave to, to prove that he was lifeless. Jesus did not die of a broken heart as some poets like to believe. As we read in scriptures, before he died, he committed his spirit to God for safekeeping. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John Piper in his comment, uh, sorry, John MacArthur in his commentary, he says, Everything had come to pass exactly as he said it would. Not only Jesus, but also his killers and the mocking crowd, together with Pilate, Herod, and the Sanhedrin, all had perfectly fulfilled the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God to the letter. Christ calmly and majestically displayed his utter sovereignty to the end. It seemed to all who loved him, and even many who cared little for him, like a supreme tragedy. But it was the greatest moment of victory in the history of redemption. And Christ would make that fact gloriously clear when he burst triumphantly from the grave just days later. On the third day, God raised him who was truly and really dead from the grave. And he lives forever. And he offers us eternal life as well. And because of the cross, because of the cross, death no longer has power over us. Those who are in Christ. And we know that for Christians, death is just really a gateway to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 tells us, To be dead, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Just like that repentant thief, we know that the same day that we die, we will be with Jesus in paradise. And today, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven with the keys of death hanging on his belt. And he is waiting for the hour when the Father says to him, Now go. Go and bring all the elect to us in heaven. And the archangel will sound the trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise from the grave. And all the elect will join our Savior in the sky to spend all eternity with him in glory and death will be forever gone and that day and that day will mark the end of missions that day the mission of the church will be complete that day the countless millions of the redeemed from every tribe and every nation will fall on their knees before the throne of God worshiping Jesus and that is an exciting thought. And every Friday, well, wherever we, every day we gather together at New Life Church, I, I'm reminded of this, this wonderful promise 
hearing over 20 represented nations worshiping Jesus with one voice, worshiping the one who conquered the grave and finished the work of redemption. And I'm thankful for this little glimpse into heaven that I enjoy every time we, we gather together. And I'm thankful for that reminder this morning, being here with, with you all here this morning today. Christ has conquered death. He has conquered sin. And we celebrate His resurrection every Sabbath day. And we long for the day when missions will no longer be needed. When we will all perfectly worship our Lord in, in sinless unity. But for now, we have the privilege and we have the responsibility of sharing this good news with others wherever the Lord puts us. I want to finish with this story about baby Jessica. You may remember in 1987, this 18-month-old little girl fell 22 feet into a, a Texas well. And rescuers labored nonstop to save her. And after 55 grueling hours, her, her life was hanging in the balance. And they finally reached her. They extracted her from the well. And the whole nation breathed a sigh of relief and cheered all the, the heroes. But this was not the story. Baby Jessica clawed her 18-month-old body up the side of that 22-foot well, inch by inch, digging her little toes and working her way up. She's a hero. That Jessica, that wasn't the story. No, <laughs> baby Jessica was utterly helpless. You know, she could do nothing to deliver herself. Her fate was in the hands of her rescuers. Left to herself, Jessica had no chance. And likewise, when it comes to our salvation, we are utterly powerless. And that's grace, isn't it? At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We get no more applause for our redemption than baby Jessica got for, for being rescued. And God alone deserves the ovation. And in the story of redemption, he's the only hero. And it didn't cost him just 55 hours of hard work. It cost him everything. And we have a story to tell, folks. We have a story to tell. Let's be like CNN. Let's tell the world of what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, It is appointed unto men, all men, once to die. Let's not waste our lives. We have the greatest story to tell. The story of the one who conquered death. Of the one who defeated sin. Of the one who lives today. Ready and willing to intercede and grant new life to all who will repent and believe in His finished work on the cross. Let us thank God for what Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son for sinners like us. Forgive us, Lord, for being ashamed of this glorious gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for not using the opportunities you give us to tell others how they can be redeemed 
how they can be rescued from this pit that they are stuck in. Lord, give us, give us courage and give us grace. May we be obedient to the very end, sharing and declaring your wondrous grace to those who are dying in their sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us, for sinners like us. May we never stop being amazed at your grace. We pray this prayer for your glory, Lord, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.